God, we come before you and we thank you and praise you for this day. We thank you, God, for the opportunity to gather here. I thank you for the many hearts that are here today, God. It's a joy to look out and to see people, God, that are hungry for you. And uh, we, got, we, we come before you humbly, Lord. We, we recognize that in, a, in our own accord, we have no right to come before you, God. But Jesus, through the sacrifice that you made, you tore the temple veil in two, showing us that we may now come into the presence of an almighty and a holy God. And so we say thank you this morning. I pray, God, as we study this one verse, Lord, probably one that many of us in this room are very familiar with, I pray that you would rekindle the flame in our hearts or fan the flame that is there, God, that would burn brightly for you, God. I pray, God, that we would leave this place loving you more and knowing you more and and living for you more, God. And even now, I pray for the heart or the hearts in this room that, that don't know you, God. And I pray that through our words today, that uh, they would uh, perhaps come to you, find their need for you, O oh God. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would guide my words today, just as we talk about how much you love us, oh God. I ask in Jesus' name, amen. So yeah, it looks a little different, huh? For those of you that are are with us on a regular basis, we are Calvary Chapel, and uh, we teach chapter by chapter, verse by verse through the whole Bible. And uh, um, that's that's the way we roll, and usually I stand behind the the pulpit and, and I teach but I wanted today to be a little bit different and um, because we're just looking at one verse. Normally we would do part of a chapter or, or, or the whole of a chapter and, and teach through the entire counsel of the Word of God. But the verse that we have today is, is critical and is crucial. And so I don't want to move past it too quickly. I want to spend an entire day on it. And so... I decided as I prayed throughout the week um, just how the Lord would have me talk about this one verse that we all, the majority of us know, how could I do that? And I kept going back to last Sunday, and like I said, I don't know if this is uh, you know, factual or not as to the, the, the format into which Nicodemus and Jesus were speaking. But I, I believe in John chapter 3, we see this conversation between Jesus and the Son of God, and Nicodemus, one of the Pharisees, one of the rulers of the law, if not the ruler of the law, an intimate one-on-one conversation. And I kind of painted the picture of a casual conversation, a relaxed environment, perhaps up there on the rooftop in the cool of the evening. We know that they met at night, and uh, and they had the rooftop you know, uh, balconies there so that they could just relax and, and talk, and I, I, I painted the picture, you know, maybe Jesus, and, and, and they had a cup of coffee in their hand, and uh, I don't know if they had coffee back then, I, if not, too bad, because <laughs> we do, <laughs> but I believed it to be an intimate conversation, and I, I think Jesus wanted it that way, to speak with this ruler, the one that was high up in society and he wanted to meet with him and look him in the eye one-on-one and just say, let's, let's you and I talk. 
And so as I, I came to John 3.16, with a verse we're going to go over today, I, I said, how, I want to make it intimate. I want to, I, I thought about for, you've, you've been there, right? You guys watch, most of you have watched a football game if you don't watch it on a regular basis. And they, and they zoom to the, or they, they, they uh, cut to the tr- um, end zone shot, right? As the, as the field goal kicker is getting ready to kick the winning field goal. And as the football goes up, you see some crazy guy standing there with this big banner, right? You know, bright green. And then it says, John 316, you know, and uh, Steve Taylor, he's a, a, a lyricist of the day. And he, he wrote a song called Banner Man about this guy that stands in the buffalo snow drinking hot chocolate and he still raises the banner. John 3.16. So I thought, you know, that would be kind of fun. I thought about dressing my boy, nine-year-old boy, Reese up in a Batman suit and and having him come running through the sanctuary with this big green card. Woo! John 3.16, you know. Banner man is here, you know. <laughs> and I was like, well, I don't know how that would be received. You guys would probably receive it well. But uh, I just said, no, I think I just want to sit down I've been battling some kind of cold all for the past few days, and I just wanted to be casual. I uh, put some, you know, jeans on and, and just said, "I'm going to relax. I'm going to take my coffee up there, and we're just going to talk, okay?" Um, and by that, I mean I'm going to talk to you. <laughs> it's not necessarily a, a dialogue here, <laughs> but I, I was trying to set the scene or the uh, as to what Jesus and Nicodemus were doing as they sat and conversed. We, we read verses 1 through 15 last week. Nicodemus comes to Jesus in the evening to meet with him personally. And I like what Nicodemus does, probably what you would do if you were face-to-face with Jesus too. Hey, Jesus, you're, you're a pretty cool guy. You know, some of the miracles you're doing, those are, those are right on. You know, you must be a teacher from God because only a teacher from God would do these miracles. And, and that's Nicodemus' opening statement to say, you know, kind of butter him up a little bit and say, hey, I like you, Jesus. I like what you're doing. And Jesus doesn't even acquiesce to it. He doesn't even talk about it. He, he just, he dismisses what Nicodemus says. And he says in John chapter three, verse three, what I asked you to memorize last week. Anybody? John 3.3, 3, a couple of you, okay, keep working. John 3.3, 3, write it on your heart. Jesus says, most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born again, he will not see the kingdom of God. So Nicodemus is like, uh, well, I was you know, trying to be nice here, and now you're hitting to the, how do you know? what? He's, Jesus getting to the heart of the matter. And he makes an exclusive statement. Jesus beginning this conversation and, and, and literally laying down the hammer, as you would, to say, Nicodemus, I know what you're after. You've been, you've been waiting for the kingdom of God to come, Nicodemus. You want the, the Savior of the world to come, and you've been watching for it, and you're wondering if I am it. And he's going to go on to say, yes, yes, I am the one you are waiting for, but it's different than you think, Nicodemus. It's different than, I'm not just coming to take care of the Roman Empire. I'm not just coming to, to, to rule and reign Israel now. I'm not just coming to defeat the foe that you see in front of you. I'm coming to defeat all of your foes. I'm coming to defeat sin and death. And the kingdom of God is far greater, Nicodemus, than you could imagine. And it's far more impactful. It's not just for now, and it's not just for this place, but it's for all time and for all people. 
And so he starts with this sentence, you, you must be born again. He makes a, an exclusive statement. And I asked the question last week, you want to see the kingdom of God, right? I'm like, oh, I want to see the kingdom of God. I, I'm into that. That sounds pretty good to me. If it's a, I mean, we live in a democracy. We have a country. I've never been part of a kingdom. But that would be pretty cool to be, I, I grew up on the knights and the chivalry and, and all that kind of stuff. And uh, it'd be kind of cool to be part of a kingdom, even if I was just the, you know, jester. <laughs> That's okay. And then to think, oh, the kingdom of God. Well, there is no grander kingdom. There is no higher kingdom. I think I want part of that. Well, Jesus says to Nicodemus, if you do, you must be born again. You know, or you don't see the kingdom of God. And Jesus talks then about how, well, what, Nicodemus then asks the question, well, how, I'm old. How, how could I be born again? Uh, how can a, a man enter into a womb, his mother's womb, a second time? And Jesus qualifies it and he says, no, 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 no. Unless you are born of water and of the Spirit, you will not see the kingdom of God. Oh, okay. So this is, now we're getting a little bit as to what it means to be born again. We must be born of water and of born of, born of the Spirit. Well, how do you do that? Well, Jesus goes on to say, and he gives the example as we closed last week, he said, remember Moses, Nicodemus? Remember how Moses was there in the wilderness and he had to lift up uh, the, the serpent, the bronze serpent representing sin judged. He lifted that up and as people looked to it, as people believed in it, they were saved. Nicodemus, yeah, I, I remember that story. I'm familiar with that story. He had you know, the first five books of the Bible memorized. And he says, as Moses lifted up the serpent, so too must the Son of Man be lifted up for people to have everlasting life, for people to have eternal life. So you must be born again, which means you must be born of water and of the Spirit. And the way for that to happen is the Son of Man, that's how Jesus refers to Himself, must be lifted up. Now, what I like about that is this doesn't surprise God at all. That, that who would you say killed Jesus? Some say the Romans. Some say the Israelites. None of this surprised God. None of this caught him off guard. This is the front end of his three-year ministry. And Jesus is already saying, I have to be lifted up. I have to go to the cross. I know what I came for. I know what I'm here to, I'm here for. And it's not just this, the miracles, though they may point people toward who I am. I'm not just your, uh, pony show. I'm not just here to, to play parlor tricks for you. I'm here for a purpose, and that purpose is to take away the sins of the world that others might have eternal life. And so then we come to this verse, John 3.16, banner man holding it up. And why is this verse so popular? Because it is in one verse, the entirety of the gospel. Everything that had been written up until this point, from Genesis 1.1 until this point, all of it pointed toward this moment. 
All of it pointed toward this deed that was going to be done by the King of kings and Lord of lords. And everything that was written after this, this time that Jesus was on earth, pointed back to what Christ had done on our behalf. This really is the, the pivot point. I mean, we, we base our time on it, right? We count our calendar years based on this one event when Jesus Christ died. And so, as Jesus and Nicodemus are sitting there drinking a cup of coffee on a rooftop, maybe, he tells them, he tells, Jesus tells Nicodemus. I think, I imagine him piercing eyes, looking him right in the eye. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever would believe in Him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. He he, he speaks to him and he, and he, he gives the, the whole gospel, the whole reason that Jesus came to earth in 25 words, 26, depending on your variation, 25 words. He explains everything that, that, I, that he's here for. So uh, it's far too important for us just to glaze over and to throw it into the rest of, of John chapter 3. John chapter 3 is a wonderful chapter. But we need to grasp a hold of this. Many of you in this room have. Many of you understand the ABCs of the Gospel. You have accepted Jesus Christ. You are born again in this room. In order to be born again, you have to understand this verse. And so you've walked with this verse for a long time. You've probably read it. If you grew up in church, you probably memorized it at age three. But let's revisit it. Let's, Let's go back to it. Because it's everything that we need. And what I want to recommend is for those of you that are born again, those of you who are saved in this room, this is a wonderful tool that Jesus has given us so that you can go from here and grab a cup of coffee and sit across the table. Say, let me tell you, there's a God who loves you so much that He died for you. Let me tell you about it. And you can unpack John 3.16 to your friends or to your coworkers or to your classmates. So let's just go through it word by word. If you're a Christian, you know this stuff, you're probably not going to learn anything today. But I hope you fall more in love with him because of today. For God. For God. Well, first of all, the four is there. What's the there? What's the four there for? So that you can refer back to verse 15. The Son of Man must be lifted up so that all might have eternal life. Why? Because God. For God. Who God? God, John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word, be- and then down in verse 14, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. That God. The one that John described, the one who holds the heavens in the span of His hand, the one that breathed life into everything, the one that just merely spoke and things became. Can you do that? Just speak it and it happens? 
was on uh, Facebook this week. And my uh, f- uh, people are pinning Pinterest things to Facebook now. You catch that? <laughs> and you get all these wonderful desserts. <laughs> there was one this week. I don't know who put it up there, but praise the Lord that they did. I cannot wait to try this. So you take refrigerated cookie dough, you cut it, and you put it in the bottom of a muffin tin. Okay? Then you take a Reese's peanut butter cup, you stick it on top of that, and then you take brownie batter, pour it over that, bake it 418 18 minutes. There you go. Thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> If I could speak that into existence, I would. <laughs> My wife says, well, I'll get on that. <laughs> but I can't just, it, it's not here. I can't speak it, but God did. The way that Genesis would describe that you and I came about, what I believe to be the truth is that God took the dust of the earth and formed man. And from that, and then in that dust, he breathed life, the pneuma breath of God. And Adam came into being. We can't do that. That God. I love that Isaiah says he holds the heavens in the span of his hand. That God. God. So loved. So much. So Loved. And we need to talk about what that means. Loved. If you boil everything you do down to what motivates you, I believe that there are only two motivators in life. It's either greed or love. That drives everything you do. It's either I want this for myself or I want this for my self-preservation, or I want this to take care of myself, or even if you're taking care of somebody else, it's so that eventually down the road it might benefit you. Greed. Everything you do is either greed or love. Pastor Dave, love him. He drilled into our heads the definition of love. Love is what? It's being others-centered. Love means to be others-centered. It means I care more about somebody else than I care about myself. It is a different motivator than greed because greed is saying I care about myself the most. Love is being others-centered. It's If there's one piece of chocolate cake left and I love my wife, I will let her have the piece of chocolate cake rather than me taking the piece of chocolate cake if she wants it. <laughs> She's not a big chocolate cake fan, so I I usually win that one. <laughs> Think about that for a minute. God so loved. God was so others centered. He cared so much for you and I. He loved us so deeply that our distance from Him, He wasn't willing to keep. He said, I I need to do something about this. It wasn't a spur-of-the-moment decision. It wasn't, hey, Jesus, you're you're not doing a whole lot up here. Why don't you go down and help them out? 
This, from the fall of man, this plan had been in action. Genesis chapter 3, the, the, the day was set in stone when, when Christ would come. Speaking to the serpent, he says, you shall bruise his heel, but he will crush your head. Speaking of a day to come when he defeats sin and death. So this was a well thought out, well organized plan. Like I said, it didn't take God, didn't surprise God that Jesus was crucified. But he so loved us that he enabled this plan. He set it into action. He moved it into, into going forward. God so loved the world. Now think about that for a minute. Because it's not the world the way God had designed it. It's not the utopia that God had planned it to be. God so loved the world the way it was and is now. It's easy for me to love my wife. We became friends when we were dating and, and we became good friends, best friends. And then as we continued to learn about one another, we fell in love quickly. And it's easy to love somebody that you like and that likes you. God loved us, Romans would tell us, while we were still at enmity with Him. While we were spitting in His face, God loved I don't know if I possess that love outside of Christ. I don't think that I do. I don't know. I thought about moms sending their soldiers across the world to defend our country, to defend our freedom, and the sacrifice that they have to be willing to make in order to let them go, knowing that they, there's a very real possibility that that son or daughter may not come back. And the and the depth of sacrifice that they are willing to make. But those soldiers do that in order to defend our freedoms. They don't go and defend our enemies. But Jesus did. God so loved the world that He gave. One of the ways you can measure the value of a gift is by how much it cost the person to give it. Right? Does that make sense? So if I were to go and, and give my son a 25 cent bubble gum, you know, from the machines, that's not a, a valuable gift, a great valuable gift. It didn't cost me a whole lot. It cost me a quarter. Now, if he were to go, because he doesn't have the money that I have, and buy a gumball for his sister, it would be more valuable because it cost him more because of his resources. Kanye West and Kim Kardashian got engaged this week, right? Kanye rents out the ballpark, hires the bands, buys a, what was it, a 12-carat? I think it was a 12-carat rock. Things massive. Asks her, will you please marry me? They estimate, what did that cost him? I, they estimate the ring to be at $8 million. Plus the ballpark, plus the bands. But what's Kanye worth? Half a billion? More? Probably? So when you look at it in that, did, did it cost him a whole lot to ask her 
to marry him? Maybe a little. It's a few million dollars to a billionaire. What did God give? His one son. His one son. Go back to the days of Abraham. Abraham and Isaac, his son, his one son. They're, they're marching to Mount Moriah. Isaac is carrying the wood for a sacrifice on his back. His dad has the flame in his hand. Abraham trying to be obedient to what God had called him to do. God had told him to sacrifice his son. His one son. Abraham just trying to be obedient to that calling. Isaac walking up with him, I can envision as he looks around. They've done this before. They've sacrificed to God before. Hey, uh, Dad, um, we, we, we didn't bring a sheep. We, uh, we don't, we don't have the ram. We, we don't have turtle doves. We don't, we don't have anything to sacrifice. And Abraham looks at him and he says, God will provide the sacrifice. And I don't think that was a cop-out by Abraham at all to dodge his question, to, to, to say, Isaac, you're the sacrifice. I don't, think, I don't think Abraham was trying to dodge that. What Abraham believed was the promises of God. And the promise that had been given to Abraham was that through Isaac... His descendants would be as numerous as the stars. Well, how's that possible if I'm going to sacrifice Isaac and he doesn't have any kids yet? God will provide the sacrifice. Abraham is marching up the mountain knowing that even if he ends up killing Isaac, God will resurrect him. He has to because of the promise that he's given me. And they get there. And what happens? The ram is caught in a thicket. God provides the sacrifice. But foreshadowing to when Jesus comes onto that same mountain. And God does provide the sacrifice, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, His only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in Him. Love that. This invitation is extended to everyone. Whoever believes in Him. Calvinists have a problem with that. Whoever believes in Him. We'll talk about what that means to believe in Him. In a little bit. Whoever believes in Him shall not perish. You know what the Gospel means? It means good news. Good news is compared to bad news. That's how you know it's good. 
or that's how you know bad news is bad. It's comparative. The good news of the gospel needs to be positioned with the bad news of your peril without Christ. And so there in John 3.16, it's not just that Jesus came. It's not that Jesus died. It's that He saved you, saved me from perishing. Romans would tell us the wages of sin is death. You and I, all of us, there is not one here. All of us have sinned. And all of us have fallen short of the glory of God. And the measurement that God has to come into His presence, to have eternal life, to be perfected, is perfection. So none of us in this room can stand before a just and righteous God in our own merit and say, I deserve to be here because we've all marred the perfect mark. I love Levi Lesko. He's one of my favorite teachers right now. A young guy up in Montana. On fire for the Lord. And I don't know if he made this up, but it's the first place I had heard it from. He would say, just so we understand, that death is not the end of the road. It's a bend in the road. Death is not the end of the road. It's a bend in the road. And when we walk over that threshold, death's door, when we walk through that, you're on a road. Jesus would say, it's one of two roads that you're on. One that is broad. One that is wide and leads to destruction. And Jesus even says, many are on that road. Or one that is narrow. One that leads to eternal life. And He says, few find it. Few find this road. The point being, after you cross the threshold of death, you can't change what road you're on. That has to happen on this side of that threshold. You're on the road to destruction. You will perish unless you are born again. I'm not trying to preach fire and brimstone. I'm just speaking the truth of the Gospel. Whosoever would believe shall not perish. Sound pretty good? Yes. Sounds pretty good to me too. Shall not perish, but have everlasting life. And what I love about Jesus is in that everlasting life, after we do cross over that threshold and we go to see Him face to face, for those who are born again, It's not an everlasting life that's filled with sin. We don't have to live for eternity dwelling in our sin. It's through the blood of Jesus Christ, through the sacrifice that He made, that we are cleansed, that we are purified, that we become born again or born of the Spirit. For all those who would believe. Now what does that mean? What does it mean to believe in Jesus Christ? 
Well, it's more than just a knowledge of Him. It's more than just um, an understanding that He existed or that He does exist even. James would tell us the demons believe that. The demons believe that He exists. They know that He exists. And shudder. So it's more than that as far as believing goes. Believing in Jesus Christ means understanding that I am on the road to perishing and that God so loved me that He made a way that I don't have to be anymore. That He made a way for me to change the road that I'm on. And all it takes is believing in Him. All it takes is is recognizing that I'm a sinner, that I have fallen short of the mark that God has established for heaven, and that Jesus came, and even early on in His ministry, understood the purpose of Him coming was to be the Lamb of God, like John was proclaiming in the wilderness, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. That's what Jesus was about. He knew that it was, yes, three years, but at the end of that is the critical time where I must go to the cross, where I must die the sinner's death, though I have not sinned, so that I can defeat sin, so that I can defeat death. He resurrects to life. It's believing in that. Recognizing your need for a Savior. Placing your faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior. Big term, propitiation. First John, uh, Tim taught it on Wednesday night. That He became our propitiation. That He became our atoning sacrifice is what that means. God required a sacrifice. Jesus became that sacrifice that you and I might have everlasting life. And that's the Gospel. That's the good news of Jesus Christ. He came. He died. That we might have life. So if you're a Christian today, I hope you fall more in love with Him because of that. I hope that, I hope that just seeing it again, the ABCs of the Gospel, um, the basics, the fundamentals, God loves us. Just kind of get back to that. And I hope you would just see that what we did today, just a simple conversation, it's very easy to do. Just to sit down with somebody and say, hey, let's take your Bible and and show them John 3.16. Ask them, what's that mean to you? Do you? Do you understand that? Has anybody ever explained this to you in a way that you can understand? And if not, just do what I just did for half an hour. There's a God in heaven. He, he spoke the heavens into existence. He, he breathed life into man. He, he, he is omnipotent. He, he, he is all-powerful. He's all-knowing. He didn't have to do this, but He did. He loved us so much that He did. He came. He sent His Son. He died. His Son died that we might have everlasting life. Just have a conversation with people. It's easy to do. And maybe if you're, you're hearing this for the first time today, or 
the first time that you've understood it, maybe you've heard it before. Maybe today's the day of salvation. Maybe today's the day that you say, that's what I want in my life. I, I, I want the promise, the, the hope that when I walk through death's door, as we all do, one out of every one people dies. I want the assurity that, I want to, that I'll be on that narrow road. Believe in Jesus Christ. Place your faith in Him. Accept Him as your Savior today. Let's pray. Almighty God, we thank You for the good news, the Gospel of Jesus Christ. We thank You, Jesus, that You were willing to take a cross that I deserve, Lord. The wages of my sin is death. And I deserve that cross. I thank You for Your love for me. I pray for this church, God. I pray that our hearts and our minds would be open to just how much You love us, Lord. That the sacrifice that You made was God. You gave God. You gave it all. That we might have life. There's nothing more valuable. And so we praise You. I pray, God, that You would fill this church with the power of Your Holy Spirit. Lord, that You would do more than just dwell in us. Lord, that You would flow out of us, O oh God. That people might see the joy that we have, even in the midst of trials and difficulties and circumstances, Lord. How we rise above those things to give You praise and glory and honor. And that people would see that in our lives that, that, and want that. And Lord, that we would have ready the good news, the Gospel, John 3.16. And I pray right now for the people in this room that don't know You that have not been born again. And I ask, God, that You would remove the veil from their heart and that they would see your need, their need for a Savior. And God, I pray that You would open their mind to the fact that Jesus, You became their Savior. And I pray that right now, they would place their faith in You and be born again. ask that you keep your eyes closed and just your head bowed. And I want to ask the question. Is there, is there anybody here that would like to be born again today? That would like to place their faith in Jesus Christ? That would like to accept Him as their Savior? And just put your hand up. I want to pray for you. God bless you. Thank you, Jesus. There's a day coming when we will all walk over the threshold of death's door. I'm not trying to scare anyone here, but tomorrow is not promised to any of us. Are you assured that if you leave this place, that God will welcome you into His kingdom? Is there anybody else that would like to place their faith in a loving Savior? Thank you, Jesus. 
Okay, I want to pray with those that raise their hand. Just repeat this in your heart to your loving God. Lord Jesus, I come before You and I recognize I need You. That I can't do it in my own strength. That I have sinned and fallen short. Jesus, I thank You for dying for me. That I might be born again. I pray that You would forgive me of my sins. And I pray that the rest of my days I would live to honor You and glorify You. Jesus, as You died for me, I want to live for You. In Jesus' name. Amen.